Last night, uh, in part of her talk, Winnie described the quality of investigation. You remember that clearly, I'm sure. Um, And how uh, it's not thinking about things, but this quality in the mind of really of interested attention. So tonight I'd like to, taking off on that, uh, talk a bit about using this interest, this investigation, to explore in our own moment-to-moment experience, to explore one of the kind of core teachings of the Buddha, one of the freeing teachings, which is that of anatta, so-called not-self. Everybody's favorite subject. Um, But it's so freeing. And it, it, it makes people a little bit nuts when we don't really just look at our experience, but when we think about it. And so remembering what I think, I don't know if Whitney said it or not, but anyway, that um, the Buddha wasn't teaching philosophical concepts, right? He wasn't like, like saying, let, let me give you some new things to think about. And the uh, understanding of anatta, of not-self, we don't come to that recognition by thinking about it. But that's what we try to do, think our way out of it, and it just kind of spins and spins and spins until we feel a little nutsy about it. Right? Or maybe no one here ever felt like that. <laughs> but it is definitely a loaded concept. As soon as we bring up, you know, not self and all the stuff, a lot of people's practice is like they're trying to get rid of yourself, of the self. You know, I know there's not a self, but I still have one. So how do I get rid of it, right? The sense of self came up. I know the sense of self. I still have one. And so as if there's something here that once we, you know, really break through some barrier and we have some blowout experience that just completely gets rid of the sense of self and then you're home and free. Are you waiting for that? And Or else the question, you know, when the self goes... Who knows where the car keys are? (laughs) Stuff like that. All those endless questions. (laughs) So, I think I made my point. (laughs) But what's really interesting, what really I, I hope this talk is, can do, is an invitation to us to... To, to drop all the ideas and the concepts and the worry and all of that and just actually bring an interested, uh, mindful attention to uh, exploration of sense of self, just discovering, exploring it, seeing what's actually going on there. Because, this might not be news, it's not that you have to get rid of yourself. There's not one. It's already like that. You know, it's just like impermanence. It's not like everything's permanent. And once you see it, then everything starts changing all of a sudden. (laughs) It's the same. Really at the heart of our um, not not quite understanding, uh, our our 
a mistaken relating to experience as if there's some lasting self-existing self is, is that we don't perceive accurately. All that changes, reality doesn't change, but our perception shifts. We perceive wrongly and then we think and act and carry on and react from that and without actually just taking a look at what's really going on, we're lost in a world of assumptions and misperceptions without even recognizing it. So that's kind of the way I want to um, just invite us to explore tonight. So this is an invitation to investigate, just with mindfulness, not with thinking about it. One, what is the experience in any moment that you notice that I'm um, labeling or calling me or mine? Not pretending we're not having that experience, right? It, doesn't it arise frequently? the sense of me, the sense of mine, and also to just bring interest, awareness in moments of experience, in a moment that there isn't a sense of me or mine. To use Ajahn Buddha Dasa's language, who was a great Thai forest monk and meditation teacher, he talks about moments that are empty of a sense of self, empty in that way. So it's not as if we're saying we have to stop having or experiencing a sense of self, because we do, right? It comes up all the time. But I don't know how it is for you, but for me, and I know I'm not the only one, it's so familiar, right? The sense of me or mine, it's, it's just so familiar that often we either don't notice it or it's so familiar we assume it's always here not noticing when it's not. And we don't really look at what we're calling me or mine, you know. It's simply another arising sankara, another arising experience. But when we take something for granted, it's so familiar, we stop looking. Oh, there's a, there, here I am again. What are you even calling me, you know? If someone grabbed you and said, what are you calling me? You may not even know because it's just assumed, here it is, I didn't get rid of it yet. So our job is to get interested, not hating, not with pre-assumptions or preconceptions, but just to see what actually in this, mo- in this moment only, not a whole philosophical treatise, in this moment, their sense of me, what's the actual experience just right now? Bring mindfulness and wisdom, satipanya, right to that point. Ramana Maharshi. The idea of self is like a ghost caused by the play of shadows. Look closely and the ghost vanishes. It was never there. So also with the sense of separate self. So long as one does not look closely at it, it continues to give trouble. But when one looks for it, it is found not to exist. That's really what I would say a great description of our practice, to look closely. But not even assuming it doesn't exist, just look closely to what we're calling me, I, mine, in any particular moment. 
And the rest of the talk I just want to give come from a couple of different angles and you may find your own. What's interesting about the sense of me is it's just starting from misperception. It's a, the word I like is concoction. It's like it's just made up of a bunch of different experiences strung together really quickly, concocted out of a moment of sense contact with grasping. And there's millions, not maybe not millions, hundreds anyway, of these concoctions of me or mine through any day. But when we really look closely, we can just see the arising and the strands that come together and how they come apart again when conditions change. There's one sutta where the Buddha talks about consciousness as being like a magic show. So I said, the sense of self, of me, is the same way, it's like a magic show. And he describes um, being on a crossroads and uh, back in his time, where there's somebody putting on a magic show, you know, and you sit and you watch and, wow, amazing, how do they do that? You know, it's so, uh, it just seems so real. But then if you can go behind the curtain and see how it's all put together, the whole sense of the reality is gone, right? You just, oh, the sense of wonder is gone. You just, oh, they're doing this, they're doing that. That's how they do it, to give this illusion of this is what's happening. It's exactly like that with our sense of self. So mm, the way I want to start, talk about it tonight is from the point, really starting with perception, which we've talked about a bit, um, where this concoction begins for us. I just happen to love that word concoction. I'm going to keep using it because in English it has like a little sense of a bunch of stuff thrown together, right? Without maybe a lot of pre-planning, not exactly a recipe, which is all planned out, but you just grab a little of this and a little of that and throw it all together and here you have a sense of me, a little haphazard. So, starting about perception, and we've talked about that as one of the five aggregates, a mental quality arising in every moment of sense contact, that, that quality of recognition based on memory, discernment which usually leads to thinking and stuff. Now, perception's uh, definitely useful, you know? In a way, it's how uh, we define our immediate world, right? How we place ourselves in experience. So when you hear the bell, when you heard the bell 10 minutes ago, you not only recognized bell, you knew it was the bell at a certain time of day and the whole context is that you're supposed to come in here and listen to a Dhamma talk and you know who you are and where you are and why you're here. There's a whole lot that comes into that perception of bell. It's useful, right? If you had to figure it out every time you heard a bell, you had to figure out bell. <laughs> right, right, okay, I know it's a bell, but what does it mean and who am I? And, you know, if you walked in here and, okay, I'm in here, but there's no me, so which zafu do I sit on? And, you know, so in this relative level, perception is extremely useful. No one's saying we want to get rid of it, really. And the thoughts that come with it that give us a context, again, extremely useful. We couldn't get along without it. So, again, sometimes we start to think, oh, you know, got to get rid of that. Not at all but we want to understand it because 
the tricky thing with perception, I, I, I think Andrea talked about it some, is first of all, it's, it's, it's personal. It's informed by our life experiences, by our past. There's a lot of cultural conditioning in perception. So there's not one accurate perception that's true, which we want like this one accurate truth. It's the same for everybody. And in a way, we, we can so trust our perception and not knowing that, it, it may not be the same for other people. It's actually kind of amazing to me how much we manage to do stuff together, given how different perceptions can be. A simple example, I think I used this last year, I was at a friend's house, good friend, and um, she had like a, a blanket thrown over the back of her couch, and I said, oh, could you hand me that blue blanket? She goes, what blue blanket? On the back of the couch. She said, no, that's green. And we really, we're talking about it. I could not switch my perception and see it as green. It was a blue blanket, you know, <laughs> two ways about it. But she couldn't switch and see it as blue. And so, you know, is there like an accurate somewhere in between? It's aquamarine and we're, you know, who knows? That's simple. Okay, very simple. And our, our, uh, our perception at that moment wasn't even colored by greed or aversion, but throw a moment of greed or aversion into the mix in a moment of perception, and that can completely distort. Kalesis completely, never mind delusion, completely distort perception. You have a sense if you're really angry at somebody, really angry, and you look at them, it's like the way they, they look ugly, you know? They didn't used to be ugly, but now they're ugly. You know, you just <laughs> see it that way. Or when you're really infatuated with someone and you look at them, oh, just everything about them is so endearing. You know, the way they shuffle their feet, the way they slop their food around. It's so <laughs> endearing. I don't know where that came from. <laughs> but when, when, the wanting isn't in the mind anymore. You want to hope you didn't like make too many strong commitments while the wanting was in the mind. A friend of mine said, uh, I mean, it was actually a really good comment. She's uh, been married, good friends of mine for a while. And I mean, they're, they're you know, very committed as a good marriage. But she said, it's like a few years in, and she said, well, you know, the dynamics change. It's like for both of us, the love eyes are gone. Like the love glasses are off which didn't mean they don't love each other, but the love glasses where you just see everything is just so lovely. And that's how we really perceive it. So this is where wars and views start from this perception that we just believe is how it is. It's so easy to attach to perception. Grasping can come into perception. No, that's a blue route, the blue blanket. That's grasping right then Without a rising of that grasping of perception, there's a sense of me taking a stand on the blue blanket. You can see, I mean, I'm, we could give a whole talk on views, which I would love to do, but this isn't it, where you can just go really draw that out and see how like that we're in war, you know? The attachment to views often just based on perception right away, that sense of me. So, as the Buddha goes on, he says over, what we perceive, we think about, right? We do. What we think about, we complicate. 
with associations and memories and or perceptions, and this is what becomes papancha in a whole story, which again is the concoction from perception and clinging, not recognizing if it's accurate or not, into a whole sense of me with concoction. And it, it doesn't have to be uh, um, particularly negative or troublesome, but just to see how it happens, to get interested. Okay, I'll give you a simple example uh, with perception. Well, I was in, uh, in Burma and uh, in a meditation center, and I was just walking up a little path where there's a, a Bodhi tree planted with a kind of uh, a concrete kind of circular you know, wall around it and people walk around it. So it's just walking up, and, you know, not even as far as to the back wall there. And there was a, a Burmese nun walking around, you know, circumambulating the tree with her hands in Anjali, walking around. So I'm walking up, I see that. That's my perception, the nun walking around the Bodhi tree, circumambulating like this. And uh, that was my perception. And, and uh, the sense of kind of happiness, kind of faith. There's, oh, isn't that so lovely, that sense of faith? And I had a whole series of thoughts as I was walking. That sense of faith, and it's just so, so touching here, you know, that she's walking around. And then, for whatever reason, another thought came in my mind that was, it's just a tree. <laughs> she's walking around worshiping a tree. What kind of, what faith, you know, this was like in the space of two seconds. And so that thought came up, I grabbed a hold of that, and so there was, that was a, a little bit unpleasant, Vedna and that thought, I grasped that, the whole sense of, you know, so as I'm walking up, that's two distinct concoctions of self that were created. They weren't the same one. One was a sense of um, me really filled with faith and happy and that, Carol. Then it turned into a little bit aversive and uh, my opinions and views about, you know, trees and faith and blind faith and all of that. That wasn't the same concoction. Those were two separate concoctions. I got up there and then I had an accurate perception, which is she was walking around texting on her (laughs) cell phone. (laughs) The world has changed. And so that, I did that just, I just laughed. And with that, the whole concoction dissolves. It just dissolves. When there's accurate perception like that, all the worldview that was built on the inaccurate perception, it just dissolves away. You don't have to get rid of anything. It's like, oh, that. And just in that moment, the whole sense of, of Carol's self dropped away too. I didn't do anything with it. It was just like, it's great, you know. And then there was just a moment of no particular concoction. So when the perception is accurate in that moment, the whole magic show, concoction of sense of me just falls apart because there's nothing to hold it together. It's not like you have to get rid of anything, but you see that this whole construct of perception and liking and disliking and thoughts, and you know, it could go on a lot longer than two seconds. When you see what's accurate, the whole thing just goes away. When the clinging goes away, in another way, the cling goes away, the whole thing goes away. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to get rid of sense of self. You don't have to worry about it coming, but we just get interested in watching how that happens. So this is the essence, really, of insight, is a shift of perception. 
not about breaking through to some new world where there's not a self and everything's impermanent. It's a shift of perception over and over and over. It's like, you know, those, those uh, pictures where they draw a thing. If you look one way, you see a vase. And if you look another way, you see two profiles of two faces. And you can see, usually you can see one or the other. You usually can't see both at the same time. But once you've recognized each, you know both modes of perceiving can be recognized in that experience. No? You know what I mean? Or like those magic eyes where a 3D, you know, hockey players pop out if you look at it correctly. And until you can do that, all you see is just, you know, little abstract forms. And if you can't do it, like my mother, for example, could never do it. It drove her crazy. But you never know that's there. You only perceive in one way. But when you perceive the other way, even if you can't always, it shifts something in our mind stream, in our understanding. We may still have many more moments of perception of the other way, kind of like the relative way of looking, me, 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 I, 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 mine, 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 there's a lot of that. But there's that sense of knowing it's a construction. It's coming and going and we can see that. It takes the oomph out of it. It's like, you don't have to be so um, afraid or aversive or try to get rid of sense of self. It's just another arising mental formation, sankara, the sankara um, aggregate, like anything else. We make such a big deal about it by not looking at it, by assuming permanence, by really grasping at it and identifying. So just, we want to explore that. That's what I want to talk about here. So, Ajahn Buddhadasa, by the way, he wrote, um, translated into English, a wonderful book about a lot of this called, um, in English, Heartwood of the Bodhi Tree, which not now, but later, if you're really fascinated, you might want to have a look. I use a lot of, a lot of the way he talks about things when I talk about it. So he says, the sense of self is simply a condition that arises when there is grasping and clinging in the mind. And that's, explore and look for yourself. When there's grasping and clinging in the mind, it's simply a condition, a process, like anything else that we experience, a mental, physical process that we can explore by simply bringing mindfulness, truth discerning awareness, to when you have a moment where you feel me, instead of going off into a whole reaction to it, me, just turn around and recognize in that moment, not thinking about it, but bring awareness to what's me in this moment. Sometimes I just feel like a little physical contraction of grasping. Sometimes there's a mental image. Sometimes the thing that's clung to, which is often a thought or a description of oneself or a mood, is the thing one sees, well, that's me. But just notice, because then you'll start to recognize that each time it's something different. It's not the same thing that you're always coming back to. And that's really interesting to see. So this sense of self, me or mine, can be born on when there's like contact, you know, consciousness contact with any of the six sense objects and there's craving. 
It doesn't have to be born, but it can occur with anything, gross or subtle, and it really doesn't matter what. And there's that. So it's born, the sense of self, hundreds of times a day, contact with any sense impression, and it dies equally. Amount of times as it's born, it dies equally. (laughs) There's not the one that didn't die that's hanging around in the background. Equally. And it can get really fun to just keep noticing it. This is just an aside I tried once when I was on a retreat with Sayada Upandita, where you note very, every, every moment you're, you're giving a very soft label to whatever's arising. And you know, very, very uh, strict uh, Burmese Abhidhamma way of understanding things. So I was doing this, what I'm saying, you know, I'd note sense of me and I'd note, oh, self, you know, and it'd be like a sensation or an image or a thought. And it was, it was really helpful because it was just blasting apart any sense of permanence. But I should have known better. But anyway, I tried to <laughs> describe to him <laughs> what I was doing. <laughs> I said, oh, yes, I'm noting sense of self whenever I see it. And he and the translator got a big kick out of that. Ah, ha, ha, you think there's self. Ah, ha, ha, she thinks there's self. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I never could get that across. Well, I hope I can get it across to you because it was really interesting. So... <laughs> It was. It is. To see how it's born and dies over and over. So I'll I'll give this simple example that I use a lot because it's it's just so mundane. But that's where we can really explore here on retreat of watching that. So I was on retreat here quite some time ago. Um, And, uh, you know, how it is. You go in, you get a mug. But this was a long time ago. We didn't have all this... Uniformity of crockery that <laughs> we have now, and so at that time there was the same shelf with um, mugs, but just whatever people had left here over the years. So everyone was different. So you'd go and get a mug. So I'd been on retreat a long, a long time. It was a three month, I guess. Take a mug, get my tea, do my thing, sit down. It was just all very simple and smooth, and I, I wasn't really paying any attention. To, it didn't matter. But one day, as I was drinking my tea, the sense of pleasant feeling about that particular mug came up. And I sort of half noticed it, half not, like Joseph calls, more or less mindfulness. It isn't really. I didn't notice the, the kind of the craving. Immediately, this feels really good on my hand. This is the perfect mug. And the color's nice, too. And I could feel in that moment this whole, it goes just from pleasant feeling to liking it, to grasping it, to trying to think about how I can save it and how can I have it tomorrow and what can I, all like that. That's the birth of self. And I started thinking, how can I keep it? Maybe I can go put it in my, too much trouble, put it down. I put it down, took it to the dishroom, left death of self, right there. And that's the whole dependent origination right there, which we haven't gone into a lot, but the, just the, the middle part of it, you know, where I don't want, because that's a whole nother talk, but where the Buddha described where we can watch the chain of suffering arising from a moment of craving, of leaning in. So this middle part, which we can watch over and over here in our practice, where there's a um, sense contact and um, the there's a pleasant or an unpleasant and neutral feeling. When without awareness, with pleasant, we lean in, there's wanting. With unpleasant, we lean away. Either is craving, it attaches us to the object, either way. 
And then that craving strengthens to grasping, to really, to holding on, grasping right there. And that grasping is what uh, Buddha Dasa calls having and being, you know, and that moves into becoming into birth, birth of a sense of self, into suffering and death of self. So if you don't think about that as a whole lifetime thing, but moment to moment to moment, just sitting there, that's, ah, pleasant feeling. This is really nice. I like this mug. Me and my mug is born in that moment. And then the grasping, the having and being, the person who has this mug, who wants to keep it, and then put it down and walk away, death of self. So death of self isn't necessarily a suffering experience. And notice, notice, when there's that sense of craving, clinging, grasping that comes in, and this is mild, right? This is where we can explore it here. We're not talking about your most difficult personality pattern or the most important thing in your life, but it's the same process. But to watch it here, to see what's the effect, explore when you notice that. What does the grasping, the craving, what does it feel like experientially? Or what's the effect in the mind, in the consciousness? We can really start to notice this. So for me, when it comes in, oh, my mug, we don't notice it because at the moment I was focusing on the pleasant feeling and all the concoctions of how can I get more and what can I do? And so we get enthralled by that, that whole view and stories and papancha, not noticing the actual effect is what had been simple and easy, walking in, quite present, relaxed, fairly equanimous, noticing what was happening, suddenly everything kind of zooms in and narrows mentally. Physically, you can almost feel, I can feel wanting, grasping in the mind. It's like a physical contraction. It feels like almost half the time that's what sense of self is for me, this physical contraction. And what had been wide open and noticing whatever becomes really like zoomed in and kind of restricted. Consciousness is restricted when there's wanting and aversion in the mind. The Buddha described it this way. We can experience it, not with judging, just to see. What had been open and wide becomes really centered on this little green mug. Becomes the most important thing in the universe just for that second, you know. Put it down, walked away. But the next day, I didn't totally put it down. I walked away and pretended I wasn't looking for it, but I just kind of, you know, you pretend you're not. This is denial, but it doesn't really quite work. Saw it easily, took it up, went through the whole thing. And this time I really started thinking about how could I save it? So what had been simple got really quite complicated. Well, you can't leave stuff on the windowsills even then. So I'd have to take it to my room, which I could certainly do. But I was doing very slow style of practice. And it would take me, I'm not exaggerating, to walk from the dining room to my room 20, 30 minutes easily. I thought, okay, I'm going to take it to my room. And then before every meal, I have to like walk back there. So it's like an hour to go back, (laughs) get the mug, come back here. But I thought about it for a while, (laughs) for a few minutes. I said, you know what? Forget it. Put it down and... Then it really went. And there's that sense of ease, of space, of peace, when there's not the concoction of self going on when we put it down. That's equally important to notice. 
Because just as there's many, many moments in a day where there's birth and death of the sense of self, there's many, and this is coming back to Buddha Dasa again, there's many, many moments which he talks about that is empty of sense of self. He says, and this is from the translation, because it's truly normal and natural. It's not some special esoteric state of mind or heart we have to create. (gasps) I have to have a moment where there's no sense of self, where there's no self. We don't say sense of self, we say self. I want a moment where there's no self because it's always here because we don't look and see. As he says in Buddha Dasa, it's really normal and natural. It's the natural state of mind and heart when we're not distracted by our reactions to, to sense contact by our likings and our dislikings and what we think about it and our perceptions and what we all, all of that concoction which comes like that sense of, when we're not distracted by that, there's no sense of uh, me or mine coming up. And you can't make a big project of it because it then becomes a me trying to look for something. But just let it go there, kind of in the back of your mind to see how often how many times a day those moments when maybe nothing special is going on. It may be a pleasant experience or an unpleasant experience. It doesn't matter what's happening. But often there's a kind of pleasantness to it, the pleasantness of non-clinging, the pleasantness of that um, non-narrow kind of gripping quality of consciousness. Everything kind of zooms in and focuses on something. And you all describe it in different ways, although sometimes we don't quite recognize it. It's just simply a moment of non-concoction of self. You know, we tend to think, oh, now the meditation, if it was in a sitting. It could be any time, drinking tea, going to the bathroom, walking, whatever. But, you know, we tend to think, oh, you know, I, it just wasn't so easy, you know, and there's that kind of struggle you're trying to notice, you're trying to be with things, you're trying to get it right. We all know that one. Then you have a sitting or a walking or a day, it's, oh, it's just... It's just flowing. It's all just coming and going. It's just finally, I'm getting it right. You know, we have to add that. We just can't leave well enough alone. But <laughs> that sense of how it's going, it's going right. And you know, after our habit is really to make something of it about me. So it may be just free and easy for a moment. We may not quite notice that what's free and easy is it's just things are happening without adding a me or a my story on top of it. Not needing to react to whatever is occurring. But then pretty soon our tendency for many of it is to get kind of seduced, distracted back into the sense content or the sense contact or the content about it. And then it's like, okay, so I have to describe this in my interview. So what's actually going on is like this and how's the mindfulness and how's that and how can I make it happen again? And all of that starts again. But just noticing in those simple moments that there's, there's no me or mine arising in that moment. Sure, it comes after, that's okay. But many, many moments throughout the day where there's just the sense of I don't know, isness, things are as they are. It may be calm, it may be something difficult happening, but the, the concoction of me isn't occurring around it. You might 
notice when the grasping of me dissipates. It's not something we do, but it dissipates. Notice the difference. Like an example, I'm, my, my system's kind of sensitive to cold, and then I tend to get a little aversive around it. I can watch that happen, pattern. So if I'm out, out, out walking, and there's cold wind, and so the cold wind's blowing, and it's, it's the other day I was out walking, and it was cold wind, and, you know, I'm aware of, of the cold wind, but I could see uh, my body ten- tensing and the aversion and the little sense, ah, oh, you know, it's hard for me being in the cold wind. So that's the whole construction of sense of me from the unpleasant Vedana. And then my memories, my perception of my body and my past history, and I don't like it. And it's very fast, you know. And so that was just going as a little bit, you know, struggle watching it, and that that's the sense of me. And then at some moment, really what I did was just get a little more mindful. I just, instead of kind of going more into those thoughts, feeding those thoughts, and hating the thoughts is also feeding them. You know that, right? I shouldn't be having all these thoughts about me. Same differences. I love it. doesn't matter. But instead of just not giving them attention and just let the awareness come back to the sensations of cold, just the bare sensations. Satipanya, right at the sense contact. Not in order for something, just to be here with what was happening. And in that moment, just being with the sensations of vibrating and cool or whatever, the, the grasping, the aversion uh, just dissipated because it wasn't being fed. And then there's just this sense of coolness and sensations and walking and no real sense of self in that. This isn't like some amazing liberating moment, but it's moments that we experience so frequently. And so just to let it in a little bit, because again, this is also recognizing anicca, impermanence, and what really starts to cut through our misperception our misperception of self as a solid thing and our misperception that it's um, steady, constant. When we see that something's coming and going all the time, that just starts to get in cellularly and we just can't take it so seriously anymore. I mean, it's really amazing how seriously, as soon as I'm in here, you know, that whole issue, whatever it is, a mug or the pain in your back or the mood you're having or it's fall and everything's dying, whatever it is, becomes so serious. And when the clinging goes, when the sense of, you know, buying into that whole concoction dissipates, it's like, it's just what it is. Even if all the same sense contact is still there. The misperception goes away and that changes everything. So just kind of letting it be in the back of your, your mind to when, our, when we're not distracted, when we're not seduced and obsessed by sense contact and our reactions to it, it's just normal and natural that there's no particular sense of self coming because it's a created experience. It's a concoction that's fed by greed, by aversion and delusion. And we're all getting really familiar with these as our good friends. They accompany us a lot of the time, greed, hatred and delusion, but not all the time. 
And so that's why we try to emphasize how important it is to see these torments when they're in the mind because they distort perception, they lead to all this papancha and assumptions and suffering. But it's equally important to notice when they're not present, when there's wholesomeness in the mind, whether it's equanimity or concentration or mindfulness or calm or metta, whatever. Just to notice both the presence and the absence of the confusing and of the wholesome. Buddha Dasa also talks about, by saying noticing this, to generate a contentment with these moments of emptiness. Because they're not like some big whoop usually. And a lot of times you may notice, okay, nothing much. We're kind of waiting for the next big arising of self. Even if it's suffering, you know. Well, nothing, nothing's really going on. I'm waiting, you know, you don't say we're waiting. Wait, waiting for something to happen. There's nothing. Have you noticed? I'm probably not the only one whose mind does this. In a somewhat calm period, you're present, that little bit of sense, oh, not much going on, you don't quite notice it. And the mind comes up with some cockamamie story, a suffering one even, you know, something that didn't even happen that you could get really angry about if it was going to happen. And you sit there and the mind's spinning it out and you go, what is going on? You know, it's like, I'd rather have a suffering sense of self than no sense of self because it's just so familiar. But you notice it, you, you can't take it too seriously anymore. There's a sutta from the Buddha. I really like it because he's describing how his mind works in the sense of the magic show not being created. So I just uh, read it a little bit ago. So he says, the Tathagata, that's how he refers to himself, does, does not conceive of a visible thing as apart from sight. You get that? So they're seeing, the experience of seeing. He does not conceive, uh, the commentary says, he does not imagine a thing out there to be seen in its own right. He does not conceive of that. So there's just seeing. He does not conceive of about a seer. In other words, he does not conceive about being an agent behind the seeing. So that just doesn't arise in his mind. So they're seeing. He's not thinking, here I am doing the seeing, seeing that. Well, our habit is to do that, here I am seeing that. But I'm not saying that so you can get in a fight with that habit. But we can simply see that's just another arising thought. This is what's so cool about awareness. It's not like awareness has to stop. Oh no, here I am conceiving about being the agent of seeing. It's all over. I'm caught in sense of self. Hang it up, you know. Right there. Bring in the interest and see, oh, okay, what's that sense of self right there? Oh, you'll just feel some grasping. You don't have to deconstruct the whole sense of the seer and the seeing and what does it mean and the Buddha doesn't think it and is there something out there or not and if a tree falls in the forest and nobody hears it, does it really make a sound? You don't have to do any of that. You can just notice the seer and the seeing and oh my God, a sense of me feels like this. Satipanya, right there. Right there, you never have to go anywhere else. 
But all it takes is that the willingness to keep turning around and looking, to keep turning around and looking. What are we calling that sense of me? So, as I said, one way is exploring that sense of grasping when it arises in the body. Notice, if it's true for you, how it can tend to narrow the mind, the consciousness, make a sense of limit, of separation. Just explore that. See how it is when there's suddenly an arising of sense of me and it wasn't there before. Instead of going, oh no, just see what that's like. See what it's made of. See if it really comes and goes. Don't believe me. Look and see. See if you can find the same sense of self all the time. Come back and tell us. You know, maybe this is all wrong. And there's really something. Look and see for yourself. Because it doesn't change anything for any of us to hear it. We all know that really well. But to just get interested and explore, to see what are some of the things that we tend to grasp at. That's why the five aggregates, when they're called the five aggregates of grasping, it's exactly that. The five ways the Buddha broke up to talk about our experience. And at any moment, when one of them is the sense conduct that there's grasping comes around, that's where the sense of self comes. But we can just explore very simply. So body is obvious. We've talked about that a lot. So you can see when there's an unpleasant sensation and go, ah, my knee hurts. Just feeling that contraction around it. Or as Andre was talking about, a lot of times we have an image of the body. It's not the body at all. And we'll have an image of, oh, you know, I don't like the way my hair looks today. Well, that's actually not the body. That's a mental experience. But unpleasant vedana, we grasp at it. But just notice I have a dear friend who um, uh, lost her leg to cancer a couple of years ago, a you know, long-term practitioner. And she's like used it, like it's such a fascinating exploration of seeing how her mind, you know, I mean, it's gone, how could she say that's me? But it feels like some part of me is gone, but it certainly can't be me. And then, of course, the whole weirdness of phantom pain, which is a totally bizarre thing. So she has that quite strongly. You know, where walking, she loves to walk. She walks, she hikes all over the mountains, I want you to know, on her prosthetic leg. Um, She's planning a trip to Ladakh where she hikes for five days. So she's doing great. But there's times that she can hardly walk because the leg that isn't there hurts so much when she takes a step. What the heck's going on? How can we call that me, you know? It's just experience, kind of an empty space. Vedana, the pleasant, unpleasant, neutral, is a big place where this sudden grasping can come in and we don't notice it because it's so quick. Most of the examples I've given have been that. It's so fast, right? You've noticed as we've talked about it, how how really quick and ephemeral this pleasant feeling is, unpleasant feeling. Have you noticed? It's so quick, it's like that. It's arising and passing in every moment, different feelings. But as Ajahn Buddhadasa says again, notice the wave-like nature of pleasant feeling. It comes and goes so quickly. And then he says, just at times contemplate your life, how many of the decisions you've made 
have been to get more pleasant feeling. And it's so nothing. It's really amazing to have a look at it like that, to really see. But as you start to see the pleasant feeling and how the grasping comes around it so quick, it leads into the whole world of emotions and thoughts and the stories about ourselves and personality view, just like that. Choki Nima, who is a wonderful Tibetan um, teacher, Rinpoche, he's Sogni Nima, Sogni Rinpoche's brother. He says, watch the fickleness, the uh, unfaithfulness of the mind, how easily it is influenced just by a pleasant or unpleasant sight, sound, thought, etc., into an immediate mood. Can you notice that? Just so quick, we can go from a little bit of an unpleasant feeling to the whole mood of our life. Have you noticed that here? Just from any sense contact can do it. Once I was on retreat and... uh, I don't remember what time of year it was, but I was sitting, it was pretty quiet, and I heard um, crickets, just the sound of crickets. And I was aware of the hearing, aware of the perception of crickets, and it has, for some reason, a kind of poignant, I'm not even sure if it's pleasant or unpleasant, but there was a Vedana that I grasped at, and it went immediately for crickets. It takes me into this whole story of, of the autumn and the ending of things and the poignancy of life and you can't count on anything. You know, that kind of like mood and nostalgia and sadness and, you know, you kind of wallow. I was kind of wallowing around in it, me, 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 just like that, from a sense contact and unpleasant feeling. And then I noticed it and I I noticed it. So I went back because the sound was still happening and I said, crickets. And then I deliberately thought, isn't it wonderful to be able to hear nature in a place like this? Isn't it lovely that the trees are turning red? And and so I, I, I deliberately brought up pleasant thoughts. Just from that pleasant feeling of those thoughts, immediately all the moods followed. Just like that, just as real as the other one. I'm so lucky to be here in this beautiful place in nature in the fall. It was just as real as the other, like 30 seconds apart. How can we take this stuff so seriously? But it's really fun to see how it happens just from just a quick little Vedna that we don't notice. This is from Ajahn Sumedho. So he's talking about just such, a, such an example. He says, so then the self arises. I start thinking about myself, my feelings, my memories, my past, my fears and desires, and the whole world arises around Ajahn Sumedho. It takes off into orbit, my views, my feelings, and my opinions. I can get caught into that world that view of me that arises in consciousness. 
You get a sense how he's saying that? He's not saying there's some solid me out there. It's a view, a series of thoughts that say this is how it is that we hold to as being true. And it's just a sense experience, a sankara arising in consciousness. That's all it is. Turn around and look at it. He says, but when I recognize that, then I'm no longer taking refuge in being a personality, in my views, in my opinions. And then as that dissipates, the world of Ajahn Sumedho ends. That doesn't mean Ajahn Sumedho dies or the world ends or that I'm unconscious. It means the world in Buddha Dhamma, the world is the world that our mind is creating in consciousness. Why we can seem to be living in different worlds. So our refuge then is no longer in being Ajahn Sumedho. Our refuge then is in this awareness rather than in trying to sustain refined experiences in consciousness as our refuge because you can't do it. And I want to say this, we're talking about one moment of refuge in this moment of awareness. Don't extend it into the future, I can't do it. Just in one moment. When I saw that whole world of nostalgia and crickets, just saw that as a concoction arising in consciousness, that mindfulness right there, the steady mindfulness, it's the condition, the wisdom comes by itself, the clear recognition, the accurate perception comes by itself. You don't have to try and create, it's like, oh, concoction, it dissipates. In that moment, there's refuge in awareness. There's nothing else in that moment one needs to do. Just continue to keep exploring how these worlds, these worldviews arise, they change. I've given you a couple of examples, there's millions of examples. And even the most difficult you know, emotional personality patterns. And right now in the retreat this last week, it seems like, I won't say most of you, but really a lot of you, and it's kind of normal at this time in retreat, are finding that really deep and difficult um, emotional patterns, personality patterns are coming up into your awareness. Some, when, when Andrea talked about yogi mind, sometimes that can trigger, uh, some little event can trigger really deep suffering because of a pattern that we experience our whole life with a great deal of um, belief, you know, and, and, and uh, it's hard. This is part of practice to see it. Even that, even when it, you feel like you're spinning and lost in it and it feels just unworkable, if you can keep on bringing mindfulness, mindfulness right to the sense door, you'll see that none of these are lasting that long. They may be coming up frequently, but in between your horrible self-hatred, there'll be a moment when you're just sitting there thinking, what's for lunch? You know? (laughs) We tend not to notice that. All day, it's been all day. When can I go to bed? You know, and you start thinking for a while about your vacation the last year, and then you come back, oh my God, this is, you know. But just notice that. Just notice, doesn't mean it isn't painful, but just because it's painful doesn't mean it's any more me than the other. So just trusting the steadiness of awareness, the perception, the accurate perception will come in. It can't help it. That's why the continuity is so important. Accurate perception isn't changing what's happening. It's seeing what's happening more clearly for how it is. 
And this is where we begin to be able to trust the awareness, to take refuge more and more. It's hard when something's so difficult or so familiar or we're so sucked in, you know, we're just spinning in it to take refuge in awareness because sometimes you feel it more clearly. But that's, as we start to see, it's impermanent as well. It's painful sensation, it's painful Vedana, but it's changing too. The awareness and the clear seeing is so freeing from the confusion that comes from this holding to sense of self that the trust, the faith just gets stronger and stronger. Vajan Samedo says, and we're taking refuge in the awareness. So just to end with another um, uh, invitation to as much as you notice, make it can be fun, play with it. Noticing birth and death of self, explore what's the concoction, what's the grasping to at the moment, and really give yourself the space to notice other moments when there is no concoction going on. There's plenty of those moments. They may be calm, they may seem a little spaced out, but there's awareness there. Not the moments when you're really zoned, but when there's awareness, but just no big concoction. Notice if you're kind of leaning into the next experience. Give yourself a moment of space. You finish one bite of food, give it a second before you put in the next one, if that's possible. When you finish eating, just if you notice your mind going, okay, now go wash the dishes. Just take a moment. Notice the space between activities. I don't mean create three hours between activities, but just... Notice, you're feeling your breath, you're aware of thinking, oh, thinking's like this, it ends. Just be aware for a moment of the space, not having to jump onto the next arising experience because God forbid another thought might come. Just be content with voidness, as Buddhadasa says, be content with these moments where there's no particular sense of self. The moment between birth and death moments between thoughts, just appreciating that. So I'll just end with this little line I like. It doesn't really, it doesn't really fit, but I like it, so that's how it goes. From <laughs> Mary Oliver. This is like metta anatta karuna in three sh- tiny little phrases. Love yourself, then forget it, then love the world. That's how it works when we're not all wrapped up in these births and deaths of ourself and we're not fighting them. Then there's the space to love the world. So thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.